John 8, down in verse uh, 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the, the light of life. And turn over to John 9, verse 5. It says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, uh, this day again, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, and for the understanding of it, for the ability, Lord, to uh, have it in our hands and to read about you and the love you have for us, about Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us. We thank you for these special gifts, Lord, that uh, you bring to us. We uh, ask, Lord, that you use this message this morning, Lord, to move hearts, to move minds, to to glorify you, Lord. That's the main thing, Lord, is to glorify you for all that you do for us, Lord. Help us to know you more, to love you more, to serve you more, Lord, and to bring glory and honor to Jesus and all that he did for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As... uh, Many of you know I published the, the website for the church. It's um, called thelightonthehill.com. If you've never been there, you can uh, please go there. You'll find information about our church. You can point that to people. We have these little card, business cards up here that point people to the site. We've had a lot of visitors that say they were introduced to the church uh, through that website. And uh, also our sermons are on there. And if you have ever looked at uh, the sermon audio reports back there, uh, we touch a lot of people around the world, believe it or not. This uh, little church here in Morrow, Ohio, we do, uh, we have two to three, it's a little over 200 people that listen to our sermons every month. So uh, we're, we're getting the word out. And uh, so, but... Um, for this this new year, I wanted to do something special that would bring highlight of our church and express what our mission is here. Uh, the Lord used this to lead me into a study of Jesus' declaration that he was the light of the world. Now, in reading uh, John eight twelve and 9, 5, I have a question for you. What does Jesus mean when he says the light of the world? And you read that and you think, okay, that's light of the world. And you just, you just let it go past, right? You think, oh, that's, yeah, he's, he's the light of the world. But when you stop and think about it, can you really express it? The first thing is we must determine what light he was talking about. Now, did he mean that he produced physical light like the sun? Well, you know he did that on the on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says that, um, uh, that, uh, it, that his face, uh, uh, yeah, let me get to this right, uh, the Bible says that his face did shine as the sun. So, is, 
Is Jesus talking about a physical light in, ver- in the verses that we read? I don't think so. Because in Isaiah 53, 2 describes Jesus as having no beauty that we should desire him. So if he, had, you know, if he glowed like a light, don't you think that would bring attention to him? Don't you think people would want to know, oh, who is this person? The Bible says, no, he was just, he, he was, he was just in his, uh, a plain body that you, a person you wouldn't even pick out of a crowd. He was so common, folks, that when they went to arrest him, they had to take one of the disciples to pick him out. Even though the Sadducees and the Pharisees had had spies spying on him for three years, they couldn't pick him out of the twelve that were there. So I imagine if, if Jesus walked in right now in today's clothes and sat down, you never know who he was. Because it was not about his physical, it was about his light and what he was bringing to the world. So if he had a, uh, so uh, to determine what Jesus was talking about in the verses we read, we need to determine the application of the word light. Now what is the purpose of light? The definition of light is something that makes things visible or affords illumination. The light that Jesus speaks of here is his ability to illuminate the world, highlight the important importance of God's word, reveal the truth that we all should know, and also expose the lies that we're taught. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we must de- determine how Jesus projected his light. Light can often be harsh and frightening. Christ wasn't like that, was he? Christ never was like that. We must also avoid this as it would drive people away. As people are best awakened by the rising of the sun, so also must we wake the souls by the raising of God's sun. You know, it's, how many of you have ever walked up to somebody and said, you're a sinner and you're going to hell? You think that'd be a bit abrasive? Is that the truth? Yeah, it's the truth. But Jesus never did it that way. And we shouldn't do it that way either. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a point of preaching hell fire. I understand that. But when you're dealing with individuals, we should look at Jesus and how he did it. And he just presented the truth to them. <clears throat> he didn't beat them over the head with it. He just presented it to them. In John 9, 5, Jesus said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus no longer walks on the earth. So where is his light now? Is it gone? Not to be seen again? No. No. The Bible is very clear that when we accept Christ as our Savior... We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and thus we carry the light. 
Matthew 5.14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the light has been given to us. Now that's a responsibility, folks. Jesus said here that well, if the light is in you, it should be obvious. How many have seen a, a city up on a hill that didn't have any lights? That was just all dark every night. You should be able to say, oh, look at that. There's, there's a city up there. People should be able to look at us and say, there's something different about that person. Do they? That's a question you have to ask yourself. Now that we understand that Jesus was speaking of illuminating the truth and exposing that which hides in the darkness, the question for our church and more importantly for ourselves is how do we do the same? Some would answer this question by jumping into the darkness, seeking every falsehood to bring it to to the sinner's attention. These are those that concentrate on other beliefs in order to expose their lies. I don't know if you've ever met people like that, but they just, they want to tell you all the things that another church is doing wrong. They want to tell you about all the things that somebody else is teaching that is wrong. They want to concentrate on what these other people are doing wrong. You know the problem with that? Is you're spending an awful lot of time studying what the devil's doing. And you're not spending enough time knowing what God wants. There's the rub. Because if you speak the truth, it's up to them to either believe it or reject it. It's just like when Jesus taught, he says, this is the truth. He didn't force anybody to accept it. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees that hounded him constantly, he said, this is the truth. Accept it or, or accept the judgment that comes with, uh, with rejecting it. So as Jesus is our light, I believe we should concentrate on him and let the truth of Jesus shine into the darkness and is that light that will expose the hearts of men and show them their need for Jesus. In the four Gospels, God shows us how Jesus shone his light to the world before and during his sacrifice on the cross. However, Through the life of the Apostle Paul, we see how Jesus does the same, not only for salvation of the soul, but also for the making of a faithful Christian. So it's studying Paul's life and how he was given the light and how he used the light. We can learn from that. And there are five areas that we can see that in. First is the gospel. In Acts 9.5, it talks about uh, 
Paul's first meeting with Jesus. In Acts 9, 5, it says, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The gospel is the first thing we must project onto a lost and dying world. Paul was serving God through ignorance. He was considered a scholar of what we refer to as the Old Testament, but he did not really understand it. It would take a personal meeting with Jesus Christ to remove this pride and arrogance and show him his failure. Jesus' light enlightened the soul of Paul. The Bible tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that draws men and women to Christ, but we are the vehicle that carries that spirit to the world. Through us, the Holy Spirit plants the seed of fear within a person's heart. Now, some people say, oh, well, you know, you should, you should draw people through love. Through love. I've, I've had people tell me that. But, you know, the Bible says that for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. You can't get saved until you admit that you're lost. You have no need of a Savior if you don't recognize that you're condemned. So it starts off with you are a sinner and you're going to hell and there's nothing that you can do about it except going to Jesus for help. This is the first work of every Christian. As the apostles were witnesses of the life and sacrifice of Christ here on earth, we must add to that as to what Christ has done in our lives. You're a witness as to what Jesus is doing, has done and is doing in your life. Now, if you can't tell people about what Jesus has done and is doing in your life, then folks, you better get down on your knees and find out where where your standing is with God. Because if you don't know why you're saved or how you got saved or what God is doing in your life, then you haven't, you haven't, you haven't gotten to be a Christian yet. Because you have to understand those things in order to get saved. And if you understand them, it's simple to tell people, hey, I got saved. You know, I'm secure in Christ. He, he, he controls my life because I put my faith in him and I know that I have eternity to look forward to. I don't fear death because I have eternal life. Why? Because Jesus promised me. And who is your faith in? The one who promised, Jesus. So we have to teach the gospel to others. Salvation of a person's soul is the foundation of Christianity. The gospel is that Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day to pay for the sins of the world. How simple is that? For a person to have eternal life, they must repent of their sins, ask for forgiveness, and put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them. Simple. 
If you can remember those two sentences, you've got it down pat. You know how to witness to people. Once they do, that person is resolved of their sins and is then indwelt by the Holy Spirit to bring honor and glory to God. The ultimate goal of any Christian should be to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That's what we need to do as a church and as individuals. Now, when I say a church, what does that mean to you personally? It means you're telling people, hey, come to my church. Listen to the gospel. As an individual that you witnessing to them with just those two lines I told you about. But you bring them into church for a reason. You bring them here for you. And so all of you can be witnesses to that soul to say, look, I was a sinner I knew it. I was condemned. I went before Jesus, repented of my sins, asked for forgiveness, and he gave me forgiveness. Folks, it's one thing for you to be an individual witness. It's another to bring people into a whole congregation of witnesses. That's why we meet together, to fellowship, be in unison in this. The first light shining from the Apostle Paul was the light of the gospel. The second light is the word. The word of God, the Bible, is a beacon of Christ's light. It is the book that God has written through faithful men to inform us of our relationship to him. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Because of this, the Bible can only be understood once a person's soul is enlightened and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. First, salvation. You have to be saved first. You have to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us before you begin to understand what is written here. That's why you have so many people, unsaved people, that read this book and they can quote it to you, they can tell you all about it and still not understand what it's saying. You have professors in college right now teaching this who aren't saved. And if you if you got them in a corner and said, well, wait a minute, what about this and what about that of the Bible? They'd say, well, you know, that that's an allegory. Or that's just that's you know, that's just a, a story. It's not really true. Because they don't understand it. In 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. After receiving Christ, God moved Paul to a place where, I believe, God could instruct him just as he did the other apostles. The apostle Paul, when he got saved, he just said, I'm going to go off in the mission field and preach. The Bible says in Galatians 1, 1, 15 through 18, this is Paul speaking. But, when, I, but it, when, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, 
immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. How long did Jesus spend with the other apostles? Three years. That's why I think God took Paul, separated him, and began to teach him all the things that he taught the other apostles. Unlike Paul, we have the completion of God's word, both the Old and New Testament. It is through this that we are given understanding of the gospel and how we are to spread the glorious light of Christ. Paul didn't have this. He didn't have the completed works. He had the Old Testament, but he didn't have the New Testament. None of these letters, none of these gospels were written yet. So it had to be taught to him by God, but we have God's word. We don't have to go off into a desert place for three years and have God teach us. God expects expects us to pick up his word and read it and study it and tell other people about it. That's what's expected of us. So, uh, the light of the Bible is, steady, is a steady light revealing truths and secrets. It shines on the path of life to keep us from stumbling and reveals the love of God when we do. It is our instruction into a new life, a life as a child of God. It illuminates the dark, dark places of our souls. It then floods, floods it with the glorious love of God. It highlights our weaknesses, but then shows us the power of God that can flow through us. It reveals the depravity of man and the glory that, can, that man can achieve through Christ. Don't let your Bible collect dust. Pick it up. Read it. You say, well, I have trouble reading it. Ask God to help you. Guess what? You have the greatest teacher in the whole universe, in, in the whole creation, in all of heaven, inside you. You have the Holy Spirit that will teach you. I can tell you that. Folks, I'm a witness to that. I read Testament three times before I started even understanding. Three times. I read it, I read it, I read it. Guess where I read it? read it on my lunch break. I work midnights. So, you know, come midnight, I, could, I had to stay in the office so I would read my Bible. But it was starting on, on about the fourth time, started back in Matthew again, and I thought, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I remember this, this is over here in John. And John says this about Matthew, or what Matthew says. And, and, and yeah, Paul, Paul over here in Corinthians, he's talking about this, what, what Jesus taught here in Mark. It might take you some time, folks, but it's worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. So the second light shining through, through, through the Apostle Paul was the light of the Word of God. The third thing is faith. 
Acts 13, 2 through 3 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is where Paul is called out to the mission field. He's called to be a missionary. Approximately 10 years after his conversion, Paul is called into the mission field. From what we know of Paul, he was a strong-willed individual with focused determination. Everybody agree with that? If you've ever read letters of Paul, you know that he was all completely focused on his task. Before he was saved, he was determined to do anything he had to, to in order to eliminate anything that may question the beliefs and traditions of the Jewish leaders. Thus, he sought to destroy those that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. At that time, he had the entire Jewish leadership supporting his efforts. Now, he was directed to challenge the very establishment that he had spent most of his life defending. This could not have been easy for Paul. He knew that he would have to make up for all the destruction he had caused to the church. He knew the hatred that he would have to face. He knew that this time his only support would be that which the Lord would provide him. We think of Paul, this, this great apostle that just, he could, you know, walk into any city and, and everybody in the city would just, you know, come run into him and, and listen to him. And, and he just had that power. He, did, he, he didn't have that power, folks. He was just a human being. He had frailties. He had problems. He struggled. Although we, 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 we may picture Paul as this great stature of a man preaching great sermons, Paul had a very difficult opinion, uh, different opinion of himself. Twice he writes about not having excellency of speech. He confesses that he was some sort, he confessed that he had some sort of physical problem. He was a man just like you or I. Yet through all of, all of Paul's letters, we can see that he was a man of faith. He was saved by his faith in Christ, and he performed his ministry by the same faith. All of Paul's letters glow with the light of faith to the whole world. We glorify God today for the light that projects out of Paul's letters to the church. We too must pro- project that same light to the world around us. It is that faith in Christ which we will, will draw people to Christ. The third, the third light shining from Paul was the light of faith. Folks, you got saved by faith in Christ. Why not take that faith, same faith, and use it to tell other people about Jesus? I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you sort of draw back of telling people about Jesus? I do often. But then I'm ashamed of it when I do. I ask the Lord to give me courage. Give me more faith 
because I should be telling people about Jesus. I need to tell people about Jesus. Not just for them, but for me too. Because I need to glorify God in my life. And the only way you can do that is to tell people about Jesus and all that he did for them and for you. Faith. Let it grow in you. As you read your Bible, your faith will grow. And you'll be able to tell people about Christ. The fourth thing is love. In Paul's life, we see the love, his, uh, the love he has for Christ, the church, and the Jewish people. This light shines throughout all of Paul's writings. Love is such a powerful light. It is the most visible light of Jesus Christ. It is the one light that makes unbelievers curious. But when we speak of the love of Christ, it is the most confusing to the unbeliever. This is because Satan has corrupted the word. The world today has a different idea of what love is. You tell people, God loves, loves you, they don't understand what you're talking about. Because when you mention the word love, they have a totally different idea of what love is. Today, love is, is lust, it's desire, it's infatuation, it's passion. It's all about feelings, attitude. Oh, you know, I, I just love that person so very much. You hear people like that. You hear people talk about uh, movie stars. Oh, I love them so very much. No, you don't. You're infatuated with them, but you don't love them. I could, I could talk all day on the love of God. I won't. But you could, folks. The love that Jesus projects, the love that we need to project, is the love of sacrifice. It's doing for somebody else by sacrificing what you want. Now, you're, there's a lot of people married here, and for you young people, you listen up. Because for true love in a marriage, that's exact, exactly what it is. It's sacrifice. When two people come together and truly love one another, what they're saying is, I'm willing to give up my, my wants, my desires, my needs to fulfill the wants and the desires and the needs of my partner. Now, when you have two people doing that, you got a great marriage. You got a great marriage. Because then you, working together, you will fulfill the wants the desires and the needs of the pair. You'll find out that what you wanted, you don't no longer want. You want something better. You don't want to run around all night and, and carouse and carry on and run with your friends and all that. No, you want to be home with your partner. You want to be home with your kids. You want to take care of them. you'll find out that your wants and your desires and needs change because the love between you two will change them. And it will blossom into something greater than you ever imagined. 
but it's sacrifice. Jesus, God, Father, sacrificed his son for us. Jesus went to the cross and sacrificed his life for us. That's love, folks. That's the true love. The fifth thing, the final point, is service. Service. In 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul writes, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul was given the work of spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul began his ministry by preaching to the Jews. But with their rejection of Jesus, Paul turned his attention to those seeking the truth. God was working in the hearts of the Gentiles, and Paul recognized that. At the end of Paul's life, he could look back on his service, not with pride, but with humble appreciation. It was a great honor for Paul to suffer the things he did for the advancement of the gospel. He was honored that God chose him to work through. But service is not a thing that's confining, a thing that's punishing. Service should be, is a joy if it's done with the right heart. God will not be a debtor. Okay? He's not going to be a debtor. There will be rewards for our service. We're not slaves to be just used and discarded. God says, you serve me. I'll see to it that you're rewarded for it. Now you say, well, we shouldn't. Some people will say, well, you shouldn't serve just, just to get rewards. No, we shouldn't, but they're there. I mean, if somebody walked up to you and said, listen, I, I feel God wanted me to give you $100. How many would say, oh, no, 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 you know. There, there must be some, you know, connection to, you know, maybe I shouldn't take that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Praise God. <laughs> God gives us rewards. Folks, he gives us rewards here on earth. He gives us food, shelter, clothing, peace, contentment. He gives us all kinds of rewards here on earth for our service. And he'll give us rewards in heaven. We are the children of God, serving for his glory and receiving our just rewards for it. And Paul tells us about the judgment seat of Christ. And I think this is an important point to bring up. In 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every Christian, every Christian must appear at the judgment. It is not to determine one's destiny or status, but to review one's works or character after their conversion, after they got saved. It is a judgment that will review what service you performed for the Lord and your motive for doing so. Now, I always had a hard time explaining that to people. But you know, the Lord showed showed me something. One of my grandsons was recently 
or admitted into the honor society. Very proud of it for that. But you know, when I was in high school, I didn't even know about the honor society until they had the uh, the ceremony, you know, to bring the kids in. And to be in an honor society, you have, you know, you have, your grades have to be high. You have to be uh, uh, service oriented. You have to be a good person, personality. Uh, there's many factors involved in, in being in the honor society. You know, here I am, 70 years old. And I can still remember sitting in that gym and watching these young people go up on stage and get this honor. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I do it? Why didn't I get that honor? Well, it's simple. Your grades weren't high enough. You, you weren't participating in enough activities because you were at home doing your own thing. You weren't servicing the community because you were out fishing and taking care of the things you wanted to. I can still remember wondering and thinking, I wish I had worked harder and become one of those. Now, put yourself in eternity. You're at the judgment seat of Christ. And Christ brings these people up and says, look, this person, they spread the gospel. They were, 10,000 people got saved. Bring this other person up. Look at them. They got five people. They brought five people to Jesus. Let this, bring this other person up. They prayed every single day for the church and for salvation for others. Bring this other person up. Give them honors. Because why? They taught a Sunday school class. That's just honors. But think about eternity. When you go through eternity and you say, I didn't get any honors. I didn't get, I didn't get brought up before Jesus to say, you did a great job. Why? Because I had other things to do. I couldn't tell people about Jesus because I, I just didn't feel right about it. I didn't serve in the church because I just didn't have time. I didn't pray for anybody because I just, I just couldn't get in the habit. Couldn't read my Bible because I just didn't have time. God is giving us a warning, folks. Don't let eternity be something that you feel bad about. The Bible says that all tears will be erased. I know that. I know that it says, but it says tears. But it doesn't say regrets. I think, you know, God is very clear. He rewards those that uses the light and spreads it throughout the world. And if you've got your light inside you and you're holding it in and you're not letting anyone see it, they don't even know you're a Christian then you should feel about, bad about that forever because he gave us such a great gift.
So you are indwelled with the light of Jesus because you have accepted him as your savior. After that, your life is like an aperture between that light and the world around you. How much of that light you let out will depend on your following the footsteps of Paul. In Colossians 11.1, it says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. To understand the word of God, a person must be saved. With the understanding of the word of God, faith is increased. With the increase of faith, love grows. For the love of God and those around us, we serve. It's time that we shed a light, a little more light on this world through our church and through our individual actions. Folks, you got a beautiful thing in you. Let it out. You're beautiful people. Why? I know that because you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. So I know what kind of people you are. And God knows what kind of people that we can become if we just let the light out. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. We thank you for our word and for the understanding of it. We ask, Lord, that you help us, you instill in us, you, 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 you fill us, Lord, with the spirit to let the light out, to let the light of Christ out into this world that needs us so very much. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to uh, tell people about Jesus. Help us to study our, our Bible. Help us to increase our faith, Lord, by depending on you. Help us to love more, Lord. Help us uh, to serve more. Help us in all the things, Lord, you've given us to do. We ask that you be with us through this week, Lord. Glorify your son through us. Glorify yourself through your son. We ask these things and thank you for them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.